0: Hello, amazing parents and caretakers. And welcome to the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. I'm your family empowerment coach, Celia Kibler. I'm a mom of a blended family of five kids. I'm a grandma of nine kids, an author, a teacher, a speaker, and a consultant with over 40 years of training and real-life parenting experience. I'm here to offer you practical, doable tips, strategies, and techniques that will pump up your parenting skills and create peace Love and laughter throughout your family. In addition, I'll be interviewing some great humans that are on a mission to make your life a better, happier, and healthier life. So let's not waste any time and get started with the next episode of the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Excited to have our guest with me today because we're going to talk about negotiations negotiating with your kids, negotiating in life between your partners, all kinds of things in the world that require negotiations, and how you can take advantage of her skills. So, Alice Shakina is an international speaker, author of Negotiating with Your Kids, a negotiation coach and mediator. She's in Oakland, California and lives there with her two teenage boys and teenagers often <laughs> require negotiation. So, Alice, welcome to the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Celia. I'm really excited to be here. I'm very excited to share my knowledge with your audience. And if people are interested in connecting with me, they can find me on shakinamediation.com. You can also directly email me at alice.shakina at gmail.com. And my last name is spelled S-H-I-K-I-N-A. Excellent. And we will have all those links in the
0: show notes. So Alice, uh, tell us a little bit about your family, your two teenage boys, and what got you into becoming a negotiation expert? What led to all this?
1: Yeah, so I've got two boys. They are 14, and the other one is turning 18 in exactly one month. Uh, So yes, so they're getting older there, and i practice all of my negotiation skills with them. Um, And as I've gotten better with negotiating, I've gotten, I've noticed that there is a definitive change in the household so that there's more peace. And so I would love to share that with your audience because a lot of times people feel like, well, I'm the parent and I'm not going to negotiate because whatever I say, I'm, you know, the authority. And I'd like to challenge that perspective and say that, you know each time you negotiate with your kids it is actually a learning experience for your children that they are practicing the skills and the better they are the the more poised they will be for success when they leave your home and they move out into the world and they're negotiating their first job offer with their 10th job offer Uh, raises, promotions, buying a house, buying a car, and so on and so on. So it really is a fabulous gift to give your kids the ability and the strength to negotiate um, by allowing them to negotiate with you first as the parents.
0: Exactly, exactly. So how did you get into this?
1: So about, oh my goodness, when was that? Almost 10 years ago. I started a part-time job, which I still have, where I am working with host families and their live-in child caregivers, also known as au pairs. They are from different countries. And aside from just managing that whole relationship, part of it includes mediating between the host families and the au pairs whenever there's any kind of a conflict that's causing them to be very unhappy with their match or perhaps even breaking the match, which would mean that the au pair would have to find another family or potentially go back to her home country, right? And so that's where I got my first taste of mediation. Um, I was not one of those like, oh, I'm the middle child and I'm growing up like constantly being the mediator. That was not me. I was actually the oldest of four. And I was always telling my younger siblings what to do.
0: (laughs) Yes, I I had uh, one of those big sisters. I still have her.
1: (laughs) No, I was one of those siblings. So um, this job gave me the opportunity to negotiate. And what's really interesting, Celia, is that when I first started, I didn't get any uh, training. They were just like, please go and mediate. And so I was really, really nervous. I didn't know what I was doing. And I was very afraid that the conflict would spill onto me. Meaning if the host family is upset, they're going to just take that out on me. So I started going and you, you end up going. It is not a neutral space. You're going to the host family's home, into their houses, into the living rooms and kitchens where the conflict is taking place. So it's absolutely not a neutral space. Uh, it wasn't like they're coming to my office. And I sat down and after doing several of these, I recognized, wow, I'm actually really good at getting people to a place of like settlement agreements that they can work together and we can resolve the problem. And so um, in about 2016, I like wanted to become a full-time mediator. I researched what it took into doing that and realized that you do not need to be a lawyer to become a mediator. So I got a certification, um, mediation certification, as well as an arbitration certification. And for your listeners who are not sure what an arbitration is or what the difference is, an arbitration is actually a private trial. And the person who is in charge, if I'm the arbitrator, is me. I'm the one that gets to call the shots and say, this is the person that won, right? After you like say everything that you want to talk about uh, with mediation, The parties are the ones who are in control of the outcome. I am simply there to facilitate conversation, to help them get to a resolution, to help them brainstorm, perhaps see things from a different perspective. But mainly I work so that uh, people can hear each other and understand each other's perspectives better. And
0: that's so important. You know, when I do my coaching, my counseling with relationships, families, whoever I'm doing it with that's a big thing, especially if they're upset, they're talking over each other and someone has to direct the conversation and calm the emotions. And uh, it's, you know, it's definitely a worthwhile, valuable thing to go through if you're not successful at doing it yourself. Now, I know you work also with divorced families and separated parents and things like that. How do you is it the same thing? Do you just welcome anyone that requires mediation or um, arbitration? How do you select who you're working with?
1: Yeah, so I do work with a lot of people who are divorcing. So they will come to me and then they're basically what I, I educate them a little bit in the initial call. And so I let them know that there are five different issues that typically people mediate. That will be a co-parenting plan. And we go over the whole schedule, child support, alimony, what to do with the marital home and then additional assets and debts. So we have multiple sessions. Usually people only need about three sessions with me and we go over all of those um, issues until they have it resolved. And then I give them a memorandum of understanding and they can take that and they can put that into the marital settlement agreement and move forward with their divorce. But I also work with separating parents in order to create a co-parenting plan and figure out the child support in the interim. So definitely anyone who has conflict, they can come to me and I can help support them in getting to a resolution. That's wonderful. What do you do? So, you know, I work with a lot of
0: conflicted relationships, so to say, and a lot of times one parent wants to resolve all this stuff and the other parent doesn't. Hi, parents. Just wanna interrupt this podcast to talk about something that's very near and dear to my heart. You know I'm on a mission to stop a million parents from yelling at their kids. Well, last year I decided to expand that mission and see how many people we could actually affect in the entire world. The more people that we are able to teach ways that they can de-stress their world, be it personally, spiritually, financially, professionally, the calmer people will be, the more they will think about taking responsibility for their actions and their reactions, the less judgment and criticism and ridicule there will be in the world. And can you imagine a generation of adults that stems from that? My world has always been the health and wellness of children and in addition to encouraging people to be calm i also support a school in uganda that helps girls that are being sold off or being wed so that they're basically used as slaves for a man or there are also children that are affected directly by aids they've lost their parents they have aids And this wonderful man created a school, the primary school of Uganda, to help all these students get an education, gain confidence, be stronger women, be stronger men, and really be intentional about raising these children into accomplished and competent and happy adults. The International Day of Calm came out of this passion and it's celebrated on April 5th of every year. During that week, we hold a summit with all kinds of classes to help you learn from international experts how to make your world better, how to make your life calmer, how to de-stress the areas that pop up that cause you an anxiety that you deal with day after day. And in addition, our mission is also to help the children of the world. And we support, through donations by people like you, that school in Uganda that is so busy working hard to help the girls in their community, the boys in their community, help them grow up to be the kind of adults that they can be proud of. Go to our site, dayofcom.org. Pledge to be calm that day. Learn more calm ways to live your life and help your children live their lives and support the school in Uganda. We will be supporting more schools as we grow, helping kids. That is our mission. Let's calm this world because you know what? I really do believe one day of calm can change the world. Please go to dayofcalm.org read all about it and help this mission. I'm so grateful that you did. And now back to our podcast.
1: So the biggest challenge is actually prior to the mediation is getting both parties because there's two things that they have to agree to. First, they have to agree to mediate, right? If one side is like, no, I am not mediating. And I have several people right now sort of in the pipeline where they've come to mediate with me and then somebody decides I don't want to mediate for various reasons. Maybe they don't trust the other person, they don't believe the other person is negotiating in good faith, Um, maybe they feel like they're safer with a lawyer, they're afraid, there are many, many reasons, right? So number one, they have to come to the same conclusion that, that yes, they would like to work with a mediator, and then the second thing they have to agree on before even mediating is who is the mediator going to be? So these two things, you have to sort of like get past those two hurdles to even move forward, to have the mediation, to have the discussions where you can start to negotiate and try to come to a common resolution.
0: Yeah, I could see two people wanting two different mediators.
1: So in in that particular um, scenario, what I tell people to do, and lawyers frequently do this, but when I'm working with divorcing people, they don't necessarily have attorneys, best practices in order to avoid that conflict is to determine who is going to pick the three that they like and the other person picks the final one. So that way each side gets some kind of control um, without having to argue back and forth because you can imagine, Celia, if both parties are bringing three to the table, I'm going to argue that I want one of my three and you're going to argue that you want one of your three. So if they can at least decide who's going to come up with three the other person gets to pick the final one
0: so do people interview you first like do they come to you and talk to you about what you're doing
1: are they court
0: ordered to do this or not Not, always
1: not always and i think it's really important that you do um interview your mediators because you want you're going to be in a very intimate setting you're airing everything, all the problems you had, um, all of your finances. And so you want to make sure that you feel like you can trust this person and that you feel comfortable with this person. And so you want to interview them just to get a sense of their personality, their style, so that you feel like, okay, I feel like this person will work, you know, neutrally for the both of us.
0: I feel like um, while being divorced, although we were pretty good about this, I feel like a lot of times with a divorced couple, the ego is so in the way of getting anything accomplished. You know, one person is like, yeah, I'm going to be the good guy the whole way and everything's going to go my way and blah, blah, blah. And they're not going to give the other person the chance.
1: Yes. Yes. So I have a way to combat that. (laughs) So typically um, when that happens, you will recognize it because there's going to be an impasse that you, you arrive at, right? So you're going to be mediating, things are going well. And when the ego gets in the way, suddenly you're with these two people and you're stuck. You can see that they're stuck. No one is giving. And they're like, nope, this is the the most I'm going to give. I'm not doing it any more than that. When we get there, I always pull people out into two separate rooms, Why? For several reasons. Number one, I can actually say, silly, what's really going on with you? So I can dig a little deeper so that you can be open. These separate sessions are confidential. So whatever you tell me is not going to be relayed to the other side. So you might say, well, you know, I don't believe that if I move that they're going to move or whatever it is that you're uh, concerned about. Uh, you can maybe even sometimes it's just emotional. You just might say, this is really unfair. I feel really frustrated. I feel like I'm being bullied. Whatever it is, it comes out. And then I'm able to surface what is really going on with both sides. And then we solve around that. Right? So if they feel like, Oh, well, I feel like if I give a little bit. Like I had one where there's a co-parenting schedule they were stuck at a 30 minute like window meaning they couldn't agree and it was 30 minutes that they couldn't they couldn't even split it 15 minutes and 15 minutes oh my gosh so i pulled them out and i discussed it with one side and he said i really just believe that if i moved she's going to move the goalpost again and i don't feel like playing this game where i give in she moves it again so i said, le- I said look i said i wanted to remind him You do want a co-parenting plan. Yes, that is your ultimate goal here today. Is that correct? Yes, it is. I said, let's make it extra easy for her to say yes. Let's just give the 30 minutes. And he said, I don't believe she's going to take it. I said, okay, let's just try it as an experiment. Let's just try and offer it and let's see what happens. And finally, he said, okay, fine. We went in there and he said, fine, I'm going to give you the 30 minutes. And she said, fine, I'll sign it. And done. done. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And and
0: it is, it's, you know, that I find the biggest objection that people have when I'm working with parents um, for their family plan, for their relationship, is that parent that people tend to pre-predict. They tend to assume, well, if we do this, I'm gonna tell you right now what's gonna happen. And I'm always like, don't pre-predict what is going to happen. Pre-predict, right. predict, don't predict. I know that could be the same word. That could be Department of Redundancy Department. Pre-predict. <laughs> anyway, you know, I tell them you don't know. You know, you're you're falling back on fast uh, past behaviors. You don't know, so right. predicting what the outcome is going to be, you know, isn't helpful. Let's just try new things and and move on. So. Let's talk a little bit about kids too, because we love them and how negotiation is helpful for kids. I always, you know, when I'm working with my clients, I'm always telling them that when I'm, I'm giving them opportunities to give choices to their children, to let them get involved. And they're like, well, you know, I don't even know if I remember that. And, you know, I just want them to do it. I said, but you don't realize that when you empower a child and you give them the opportunity to have some responsibility and control over themselves, they become so much more cooperative when they don't, when things are non-negotiable. And they learn that they're actually part of this solution, not the problem. So talk a little bit about, you know, how you work with your teenagers and all with negotiating and how that benefits them
1: so before i do that i wanted to tell a, a quick anecdote so i told my mom you should have negotiated with us when we were kids and my mom's response was i don't know how so i do like have some empathy for parents who feel like well that's great but i don't really have the skills myself to be right to with my exactly. children right And so for that reason, number one, it is important as parents to learn how to negotiate, whether you get a book, you enroll in a course, there's some courses online as well. Even Coursera, which is an online uh, program, has free negotiation. And so if you get better at it, you can teach your children, right? And so even with the two choices, if you give two choices to them, eventually they will like be, oh, okay, I got it. And so my kids have come back to me to say, here are two choices, mom, I'm going to give you, right? And so with the two choices, then you have to be very creative. I don't believe that there's like a template that you can say, here's the template. I think that there are some framework.
0: I kind of help my parents with a template of recent because one of them asked for it. But then I'm always like, okay, so if you have to give a choice and you really are like, I got no clue here, just send me a message. And say this is what came up. Not sure how to do this.
1: So I I think that the frameworks that I like to give are that you both choices you have to be one hundred percent equal. Like you're like totally absolutely. Twice. You're not married to one or the other. You don't favor one or the other. That it's completely equal. So that number one has to be the case. right. So that when they pick, you're not like wrong choice. <laughs> right, right. And the other thing is that. Um, each choice has to have a little bit of what you want and a little bit of what they want. Right. So that there is like that lever. So, for example, um, I had uh, an instance with my 17 year old where I gave him a rule that said, if you want to invite your friends over to cook dinner because they love cooking fancy dinners. I said, feel free, you can do that anytime. And we have a new kitchen, right? It's like a year old. We just remodeled everything. And so I said, I have one rule. The rule is make sure the kitchen looks the same as it did when you began. And one day I came back home in the morning and he had cooked dinner with his friends and everything looked fine, except there was a stack of dishes in the sink. And I needed the kitchen because I was going to cook breakfast for friends. And so I went to him and woke him up at 7 a.m. And he began to tell me that he went to bed at four o'clock. He cleaned for four hours. Um, He said, you have no idea how dirty it was. We spilled flour on the floor. And the cake that we were baking also spilled in the oven. So he's like, I had a huge mess and I cleaned for four hours. So he began this sort of like, let me argue with mom and let me try to win her over. And I went down that path for a few minutes and realized, okay, I need to stop and I need to give a choice. So I paused and I said, okay, here are your choices. Number one, I'm happy to go clean up those dishes. There's not gonna be any more discussion. I'm not gonna be angry with you, but with that choice comes the loss of the privilege of having your friends over to make dinner. I said, or you can go ahead and clean up the dishes now and you can keep that privilege and he was not happy, but there was no further discussion. He marched into the kitchen and he washed all the dishes right away. Right, that's sort of how ha- you have to really think like what you have to think about what is their interest? What is it that they want versus what is it that I want? And so for right. me, exactly. I was thinking of he wants to sleep in. And also I know that he wants that privilege. So I gave one where he got to keep the privilege and I gave another one where he got to keep sleeping, sleeping in. Right. right, right. So you have to think about what do they want? Exactly. And what
0: do I want? Exactly. And and, and sometimes you include the, the non-negotiable into the negotiable because sometimes they're arguing about the, the thing that they don't have a choice of. Right. You know, I remember my my grandson wanted to go. He didn't want to go to preschool because I was there watching him. And normally when I'm watching him, he doesn't go to preschool. And but this day I had stayed an extra day. So he had to go to preschool. I had clients and calls and and my daughter thought there was going to be a big fight. And I'm like, there was no fight. And she goes, well, how was that? I said, well, I just told him. I said, Brooks, when you go to school, I can pick you up after lunch. Or when you go to school, I can pick you up at the end of the day. So either choice, I knew he would pick up after lunch because he wants to come home sooner. But it included going to school. The going to school was not negotiable. And he's like, pick me up after lunch. And we pulled in. He went right into school and I picked him up after lunch. So there's even ways to plug in that non-negotiable into a negotiable.
1: Exactly. Like if you want your child to wear a dress, you can say, "Do you want the blue dress or the green dress?" Right. Right. It gives them a choice, and it isn't. I I feel like it's not fair to not give your kids a choice because you're teaching them that in life there are no choices. When in fact, exactly, myriad of choices. And as an adult, you have to be able to make choices, right? And you have to be able to think critically. And so by not allowing them to be part of the negotiation part of the conversation you are taking away the ability to think critically for them to weigh you know which is better is this better or is this better right or or let's just fast forward until when they're getting a job is it better to get a base salary with fifty thousand dollars worth of benefits or is it better to get a salary with no benefits equivalent to the other job plus benefits like which one is better so you want people to constantly be able to weigh the choices and make the best decision for themselves and you are training them for that exactly
0: exactly we're raising adults not children that's what I always say that's my tagline for pumped up parenting and you have to help them learn because in life there are choices all choices have a consequence good choices have good consequences Not so good choices have not so good consequences and they have to learn and they have to start taking responsibility for their choices Yes, because children don't learn responsibility if they're never given responsibility. Exactly. So you have a choice for them. They make that choice. And part of being a person of integrity, you do what you say. You say you're going to do that. You follow through. You do that as a role model, they do that as your child.
1: Exactly, exactly. And you know, it's not always easy to figure out the choices and it makes you think on your feet. And so as a parent and as a person, you are sharpening your own negotiation skills. I mean, there's no better practice than practicing with your children. They are like the hardest people to negotiate with. So if you sit there and practice, you are also practicing your own skills to get better. And you can use those same skills with a spouse. And right. you know, so if you get really good at negotiating, it's not about I'm going to win versus my spouse who's going to lose. It is about how can we get to a win-win? If right. I'm a really good negotiator and my spouse is a good negotiator, we're going to find something that makes both of us happy.
0: It's not you against them. It's you and them against the issue. Yes, you're the team that's trying to resolve the issue. You're not battling the other person, be it your partner, be it your child. You guys are teaming up and saying, let's figure out how to resolve this how and it may require a compromise. It may simply require
1: a choice. yes. And the other thing too is, um, and I teach a lot of my, in my coaching about the amygdala and what happens when people are frustrated or upset. And the one thing that I really need parents to understand is that when you or your children are in upset, right, you're frustrated, angry, annoyed, whatever, you are actually not hearing things, right? And so a couple of tips that I want to give people. Um, a really good thing to do with your kids, particularly when things are heated and you're saying the same thing over and over again uh, and you feel like you're hearing or you feel like they hear you is to actually say, what am I What am I saying to you? What are you hearing me say? Um, it's a very good technique because recently I was away and I had my two boys. My oldest son called from home. I was not home. And he was very upset because my younger 14 year old had spilled rice all over the kitchen floor cooked rice the younger son felt like he had cleaned three times and so he was refusing to clean again when his older brother said clean again because you didn't find all the pieces of rice right and so he calls me the older son and says you have to do something because i'm not going to pick up his mess but he needs to do it so you need to force him to do it and the younger son is like I did it i'm not going to do it so there's this conflict going on right i can't jump in and clean it nor should i exactly so the goal for me was to try to figure out how to get my younger son to do it and how to get my older son to help my older son is not necessarily very helpful for his younger brother like he's not the helpful type he was just like not my job you do it Right. And so I was talking to him and he kept repeating, this is not my job. I'm not going to do it. And I was trying to explain to him, I understand that you don't want to do it. I'm not asking you to do it, but you are almost 18. He is 14. So his level of like what he thinks is clean or that he feels like he's completed the task might be like not as good as you because you're older. So you might think something is not as clean where he feels like it is because there is an age difference. Right. So I was trying to explain this. Finally, I said to him, what are you hearing me say? And he said, um, I'm hearing you say that I need to clean this up or something like he was struggling. Right. And He paused, like literally he stopped and he said, I don't know what else you said, which gave me lots of information. <laughs> It gave me information that he was not hearing or comprehending what i was saying so i let a little bit more silence pass and at this is very unscientific celia but i feel like there's something called an All echo right. chamber next to your or right inside of your ear and when words go in there they echo in there for about up to maybe 30 seconds before they either get processed or they get tossed out right and so my son went into the echo chamber and he said um And then you said something about, I'm 17 and he's 14. And so uh, he won't do a job as well as I will. And it was the first time he had processed those words that I said. He had not heard them before. And let me tell you, the minute he processed that, his entire attitude changed. All of a sudden he was not as combative with me verbally. And I said, can we figure something out? Perhaps you just point out, here you missed here you missed here and I said and if if I can get him to clean up where you are pointing him out so he doesn't feel like he's redoing a full job but he's picking up the last few things would you be able to do that and he said okay I'm I can do that then I talked to my younger son and I said can you take direction from your brother and he will just point out where you missed and can you do that and he said I can do that and I got to agreement. I was like, who? Because I was yes. really nervous <laughs> that, they were, that I was just going to be like dealing with two boys who are fighting with each other. So I did that because I was trying to find out first, you want to make sure that they hear you. Right. I don't think I could have gotten to a solution if I did not recognize that my son actually had not heard my message to him. So it's great to say, can you repeat back what I said? Because I'm not sure you heard everything. Yeah, which falls back on that
0: assuming thing that we do. We assume and that's never right.
1: Right, right. And then the same thing too is a great thing for you to do to be like, let me make sure I'm understanding you and mirror back what you heard because sometimes you may have missed something. So I think using that technique back and forth for you to say what you heard and for them to say what they heard, I think it's an excellent way to get past the conflict because most of the time when people are upset, they're missing about 50% of the message coming their way.
0: Exactly. And that's why even in tantrums, you talking into a tantrum is worthless, useless, and is going to really escalate the whole thing. Because they cannot process, and then it's sensory overload, and then it goes on and on and on, and you're trying to talk them down or rationalize with them or whatever it is you're trying to do, you're not getting anywhere. Right. And it's so important to remember that. So important. Your book is Negotiating with Your Kids, and I believe it's on Amazon, right? And I will have the link in the show notes. And your website is Shekinamediation.com, S-H-I-K-I-N-A, which is your last name, Alice. And so Alice Shakina of Shekinamediation.com, would you please give our listeners one more piece of advice that will help them with this whole uh, journey to negotiation?
1: I think the most important thing is to remain calm because no one can negotiate successfully if you are not calm. So you need to have the self-awareness, like what are your triggers? What things make you upset? And when you are upset, what happens to your body? Do you have elevated heart rate? Are you breathing shallowly? Does your face feel flushed? Um, do you get tense, like in your, you know, in your head, what are the things that happen to you? So people really need to, you know, take an accounting of like, okay, this is what's happening to me when I get upset to recognize them in the moment. And then to be able to say, okay, I'm going to do something about it. What can you do? You can do deep breathing, right? Even if you step away, Um, I think it's a fantastic uh, thing to say to your kids. Let's say they did something really bad. Like, I don't know, whatever they did, you're not happy with it. And then you're very angry. I believe it is perfectly fair to say, I can't talk about this right now because I'm so upset. Let me uh get back to you about consequences when I feel better. You do yes. not need to issue a consequence in the moment. It right. is okay to like go away from it and say, I'm going to talk about this later. Let me think about it. I mean. For me, one time, the longest I ever had to wait was three days because I was seeing red. I was
0: seriously upset. But But also give each other that permission. Give your kids the permission to walk away, your partner, the permission to walk away. If you need to walk away because you are so upset, give each other permission to walk away because staying there and being upset and screaming and yelling is accomplishing zero.
1: Yeah. Yep, definitely. And it's really good to um, set up those parameters before the conflict happens. Yes. So it will not work if you start having an argument and then and then you say, Celia and Alice said that we should take a break and I'm going to take a break because the other person is <laughs> going to say like, no way. So, right. So bef- when there's no conflict going on and everything is fine, then you need to have a conversation that sounds something like this. Hey, Celia, like next time when I ask for a timeout, would you agree to just give me that as long as i let you know that i will come back in x number of you know minutes or hours and celia you can do the same thing do we give each other the permission to say yes when you're asking for a timeout exactly free agree then when it happens you already have the rules of engagement it's like playing a card game with rules right you already right. said here's the rules and so it's a lot easier to abide by, whereas if you're trying to make up the rules in the middle of the conflict, it's not going to work and you can't, it's not fair to come back and say, well, Alice and Celia, I tried it. I said it didn't work. And it didn't right work. It didn't right. work. It because
0: work. know that if you're arguing with your partner and then you're like, I can't deal with it and walk away, they're going to be like, oh, now you're not going to talk to me about it. What are right. we in 12th grade? You know, right. and there it's, it's going to enter a whole... Another level. Whereas if you just talk about it when you're calm and say, you know what? I know we had that really bad argument the other day. How about we agree that when we're upset, so we can calm ourselves first and be in control of our reactions and actions, allow each other to walk away? Same with your kids. Take a breather. Don't avoid it. Don't be like, okay, well, we never have to talk about that again come back, talk yeah. about it, promise each other, yeah. you will talk about it. Just make sure it's in a calmer environment.
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, that is that is the way to do it. And also- If you have something of a serious nature, like let's say that you spoke to me in some way and I was very upset about it, instead of me coming to you and just saying, hey, Celia, I really didn't like the fact that you talked to me in this tone of voice yesterday. Like for all I know, you're getting ready for a presentation at work or you have a million things on your to-do list and you have a deadline that you want to finish it by. I don't know what is going on with you. And it is not fair for me as a spouse to all of a sudden just come and ambush you that way. So a really good way to have a productive conversation is to say, Celia, is there a time that would work for you where we can discuss something? And you might say, what is it? And I'll say, it's about the way that you spoke to me yesterday. I'd like to know when is a good time. Now, you might say now is a good time, but you also might say, how about tomorrow afternoon when I get back from work, right? Because then both sides get to be prepared on what to say. It's not fair to ambush someone and also they're like, "Oh my god, I was not ready for this. I don't have time for this." and right. all thrown into the middle of an argument.
0: And it, you'll have a a much worse outcome. It will just increase the battle that went on the other day. And mm-hmm. do the same with your friend, with your friends, with your children. Offer them the respect of finding a good place to talk, a good time to talk. Don't just barge in and start barking whatever you're
1: barking at them. Yeah, absolutely. And well, another, Alice, oh, go ahead. Say, say, say say. The one more thing is to like, keep the issues, keep one issue at a time. Don't throw in a second issue. If you get mad because I was late, I should not say to you, well, you were late last week. <laughs> exactly. Issue, right? Exactly. Don't the one-up thing. Yeah, don't do that. And if somebody does throw in a second issue, just say, Hey, if that's really important to you, I'm happy to talk about that, but let's get through this first issue before we get to the second.
0: Great advice. Really great advice, Alice. Thank you so much. And I know um, our listeners are going to be interested in learning more from you. Go to Shakina Mediation. I really want to say meditation. (laughs) ShakinaMediation.com. Find out more about Alice. If you have children, which I'm assuming a lot of you do since this is a parenting broadcast, um, get her book available at Amazon, Negotiating with Your Kids, and learn what you don't know. You know, we don't all have these skills we're born with. So we learn things for all kinds of stuff your job, your career, you know, all other things. And we forget that there's actually a lot we can learn about our parenting and our relationships. So reach out to to Alice, reach out to me, learn what you don't already know. Well, Alice, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate
1: it. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. And I hope that um, these tips that I gave really help your listeners because I'm very passionate about helping people. And I offer uh, negotiation coaching as well for people who feel like they wanna up their, up their communication and negotiation skills. Absolutely. And and you have like a, a small group coaching. I do. It's like four to eight people. So it's very small.
0: Good, good. More concentrated coaching, but not at the private coaching, you know, expense. So anyway, look up Alice, find her at ShekinaMediation.com and get more information that you need because it will make your life so much better. And in the meantime, as always... My listeners, I, Alice and I are very grateful for your time, taking time out of your busy schedule to spend some time listening to us. I hope you found value even if you take one tip, one little piece of advice, put it into place today or tomorrow, give it a try. You're gonna see a big smile on your family's face, on your relationships, anyone you're working with when you become a little more respectful of their lives, and their opportunity to make decisions. So thank you. And as always, I wish you days filled with peace, love, tons of laughter. Laugh a lot. Things are funny. And we'll see you here next time on the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Pumped Up Parenting Podcast and being a part of my mission to stop a million parents from yelling at their kids. Be sure to head over to PumpedUpParenting.com and grab your free copy of the Patients Playbook. Wishing there was a manual for your toddler? Well, great news. Now there is. Pick up your copy of Raising Happy Toddlers, How to Build Great Parenting Skills, and Stop Yelling at Your Kids plus my three new children's books at celiasbooks.com. That's celiasbooks.com. If you're loving this podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends and pay it forward and also leave a review so I know who you are and can thank you personally. Tune in next time for more tips, advice, and strategies as you continue to pump up your parenting and create childhoods that everyone in your family can blossom from. Have yourself a really happy, fun day. Bye-bye.